You may be seated. I'd love to invite any members of the missions team that is going to come and join me up here on the stage at this time. So if you're a part of the missions team that's going with Jesse, uh, come on up. We're very excited about this and the ministry that's going to take place with this team. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you today? Great. Yeah. You've got people that are joining you. Oh. At first when you stood up, I was like, oh, they're going to abandon him. But no, you're here with him. I love it. I was scared for a while here. Yeah, I yeah. I see any of them. Jesse, would you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing as you go? Where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing? We'd love to hear about that. That's a great question. First of all, I've been a Friendship Church missionary since 2020. And uh, yes, thank you. Thank for being a partner with us, my wife and I, Emily, and my family. We dedicate our lives to be missionary. And f so far, Friendship Church have helped us to plant five churches in South America. And guess what? Answer your question, what you're going to be doing over there. Actually, it's the second building that Friendship Church helped partner with us to build. You have another team here, I'm seeing them over there, that went and built a team. So we start in 2020 with five disciples. Today you have 500 plus disciples. And with the five churches, it grows. And here comes this team. Why they are going over there? We start ministry with women and children. Women are humble. They really is easy to reach out to. Men are very proud, you know that. So they accept Jesus, they bring their family, and then we work with the men. Now, God is doing a miracle. Men are accepting Jesus and are getting baptized and becoming leaders of those five churches that we planted. So now I'm bringing a group of men to build the second, the fourth building that we are building in Colombia and the second, that friendship church that you guys, that you, you build with us. So we're going to build that. Is a, the fun thing is we're going to build it, one building. We're going to build another small place that this community that we planted is already planting a second church. You guys mm. are going to see that. And then awesome. we're going to build like a little shack where they're going to be meeting. This is refugee settlements, just to let you know. When you talk about buildings, it's not that. So you're going to see one week, this guy's yeah. going to do this. Yeah. It's going to be a men's retreat. For now, we have a 40 men that's come to a retreat where uh, uh, Ryan and Dave and those guys are going to be uh, teaching them uh, to be leaders. Mm. And, uh, and then also, you're going to be doing a fence around one of the church. So did I yeah. answer you a long time? Yeah, answer? absolutely. Yeah. And you're working with Venezuelan refugees who have crossed the border into Colombia as you're doing all of that. That's correct, yeah. yes. They cross the, the, the border and settle around uh, uh, Cucuta in Colombia. Correct, yes. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, we would love to be praying with you guys as you go. Can you give us something that we can be praying for? A couple things we'd, we'd love to be praying. Yes. Saved first. You know, construction. OSHA is not there, as you can imagine. <laughs> Please pray for safety, you know, uh, and those guys, are, they are professional. Uh, pray for everything to go smooth with, with us. And also, just that the Lord can bring the right people while you are building, they can bring the right people so you can be a, a witness for them and, 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 uh, and, and they 
preach the gospel to them. Also, second thing, team unity. You know, we have a bunch of young people coming. Look at this. This is amazing. And there's three other young people that's come. Yeah, nice. first trip. Yeah. Uh, so let's pray for team unity and that we can come back safe here for this beautiful wedding in Minnesota mm -hmm. in one week. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want to pray for you right now. And if, if any of you are, are willing, you can just extend your hands as a sign of your participation as we pray for the Lord's blessing upon this. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for each person that is going on this trip that said yes to being a part of what you're doing. And we're, we're thankful for the movement of your spirit in their hearts. And we ask that as they go, that you would provide everything they need and protect them in the things that they're doing. Lord, we ask that you would bless them. Bless them with more of your presence. Let each person who is going on this trip have more of who you are revealed to them as they're a part of this. Lord, let them see your work in order to provide aid and care for those who are in need. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward through this team among those that they're working with so that many will become followers of you and become a part of your eternal family. Lord, these are our prayers for them this morning and our prayers for them in the days to come. And we ask that you be with them in everything that they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mike. Thank you, guys. Amen. Something else uh, missions related that I want to let you know about. Next week is our Mission Sunday. And so this is the one time every year where I'm able to look at you and tell you, don't come back next week. All right? Uh, at least not here. We will all be over at our Shakopee campus next week with a number of our missionaries celebrating what God is doing around the world. And so we'll have a panel of missionaries that you'll have an opportunity to hear from. Missionaries will be at tables out in the common area and would love to connect with you. So everyone is going to join me over at the where? Shakopee. Yeah, Shakopee campus as we spend some time uh, celebrating what God is doing around the world as he's making an impact through missions. So let's, let's uh, join and be a part of that next week. It's such a good day to come and to celebrate Jesus and what he has done. And as Jason said, it is especially nice outside. It seems like there have been so many Sundays when we have come here and I have talked about how nice it is outside, right? This winter, craziness. As I've shared with you before, this is the first time in my life that I have ever purchased a snowblower. <laughs> and my neighbors all attribute the warm weather and lack of snow that we are having to the fact that I have purchased a snowblower. And they are all asking if I will do it again next year. I feel like that's something we could spread out among the neighborhood, perhaps, or something like that. Right? But it's, it's a beautiful day, even if it wasn't. It's beautiful to come together as the family and worship Jesus together. We're going to do so as we look at some verses in Mark chapter 14 together. So I'd invite you to turn to Mark 14 in your Bibles. There's Bibles in the back if you need one. You can turn there in your devices. In our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark, we are hurtling towards the crucifixion at breakneck speed at this point. And over the course of the next chapter and a half, as we see Jesus tortured and crucified, 
it can be tempting for us to look at Jesus as a poor, helpless victim in all of this. A poor, helpless victim who is just crushed by the wheels of the powers and authorities that existed in his day. But no perception could be further from the truth than that. Jesus is not a poor, helpless victim in all of this. He is God in the flesh who is walking through the events of the hours before his crucifixion exactly as he planned them and is now carrying them out. He is the sovereign Lord, not a poor, helpless victim. And we're going to see that in our passage today. As as sovereign Lord, he walks through the things that he has planned in order to bring about the greatest good that the world has ever known on the cross. And I want you to note that to his followers, it's going to look like things are spiraling out of control. And while it looks to his followers like things are spiraling out of control, nothing could be further than from the truth. Jesus, the sovereign Lord, is completely and totally in control throughout all of this. And we need that truth reaffirmed in our hearts and minds this morning. That no matter what parts of our life might look like they are spiraling out of control, big things and small things, ultimately, Jesus is the sovereign Lord who is ultimately in control no matter what things look like from our perspective. And that's what we're going to see in Mark 14. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 31. So let's start together with verses 12 through 16, which say this. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. In these verses, it is time to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus and his disciples aren't from Jerusalem. And so his disciples have the natural question, where where are we going to celebrate the Passover? It's in a few hours, Jesus. Where are we going to do this? Jesus and his disciples are going to be dependent upon the kindness of someone in order to be able to celebrate this Passover together. Jesus sends out two of his disciples in order to go and find this place and make preparations. Right? Which two disciples? Well, Mark doesn't tell us, but Luke does. Right? And in Luke chapter 22, we find out that this is none other than Peter and John that Jesus sends out in order to go and make these preparations. And he says, I want you to go out and you are going to make connection with a man who is carrying a water jar. And then you're going to follow that man with the water jar to a house. And whatever house that is, you're going to connect with the owner of the house and he's going to have a completely furnished upper room that is all ready for us so that we can prepare this Passover meal and eat it together. What a a picture there is here. 
over the next two chapters, it's going to be tempting for us to see Jesus as a suffering, poor man. But what are we seeing in this passage? Jesus is the sovereign Lord who knows all of these things ahead of time, doesn't he? Now, now he sends Peter and John into Jerusalem in order to find a man who's carrying a water jar. What did we say about Jerusalem during the Passover last week? There are hundreds of thousands of guests who are staying in Jerusalem during this time. And so he sends them in at a time where people do not have running water. Everyone is going to get water in order to celebrate the feast and says, yeah, just go find a guy who's carrying a water pitcher. What? Right? <laughs> yep, that's right. Cray cray, right? Absolutely. And, and in the midst of this, we might think, wow, that's a little bit like trying to find a particular needle in a needle stack. All of these different people who are going to be carrying jars of water around. But that's not actually the situation. Because at this time, women carried their water in jars. Men, when they carried water, did it in leather pouches. If they had multiple leather pouches, they would attach them to a stick and carry the stick with the leather pouches. But it was that clear a distinction. Women carried water in jars. Men carried their water in leather pouches. And so what Jesus is asking them to look for is actually quite unusual. He says, when you see a man of all things carrying a water jar, that man is going to approach you. Notice that they're not meant to find him. He's going to approach them. How does Jesus know that? And you're to follow him to the house where we will eat this supper together. This all feels so clandestine at this point, doesn't it? Doesn't this feel like a spy novel? We, we almost expect Jesus to give Peter and John some sort of secret phrase that they're going to utter to the person with the water jar. The Lion of Judah roars at midnight. This message will self-destruct kind of thing. But he sends Peter and John in in order to carry out their mission. And what do they find in Jerusalem? Everything exactly as Jesus said it would be. How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus is not a poor, helpless victim. He is the sovereign Lord who has planned all of these events before the foundations of the earth and is now carrying them out exactly as he sees fit. He is going to carry out all of these events and as it appears to be spiraling out of control to his disciples, he is going to bring about the ultimate and greatest good in the midst of all of that. And maybe today you need to be reminded that Jesus is the sovereign Lord. And no matter how much things may seem to be spiraling out of control around you or in your life, that he promises that for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that he will work things for ultimate good. Right? Is there anybody that needs to remember that today? He is the sovereign Lord. That is good news. Now at this point, Mark makes a time jump, a time jump of a few hours. 
And he is going to immediately go to Jesus and his disciples sharing the Passover feast together in the upper room. John's gospel provides us with some details that happen in between here. But Mark, he just makes a few hour time jump right into that upper room. And so we begin in verse 17 and read this. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it was written of him, But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Friends, when does a new day begin? If we were to poll all of us in here, it might be that some of us would contend that a new day begins at sunrise. Others would contend that a new day begins at midnight. But to the Jew, when does a new day begin? Yeah, I hear you whispering it. A new day begins at sunset, doesn't it? And so the sun has set and a new day has now begun. The day before the Passover has become the Passover day at sunset and now they are spending time with the Passover feast together. We might think of this as the day before the Passover, but for them, it is now Passover that the sun has set. And so they are enjoying the Passover meal together. They're not sitting at the table, eating as we might. We're told here that they are what? They're reclining at table, aren't they? All of them are laying on their left side around the table and eating with their right hands. And as they do, Jesus is leading them through all of the elements of the Passover feast. Elements that would have been so very familiar to these Jewish men. They would have gone through these elements of the Passover feast every year of their life. And so as Jesus is leading them through it, there's no surprise. They recognize everything that he's saying. They recognize what's coming next until Jesus shocks them and says, one of you is going to betray me. We're told that all of them asked, wait, is it, is it I? Is it me, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, it's the one who dips the bread in the dish with me. All of the other Gospels at this point identify this as Judas. And Jesus says about Judas, it would have been better for him if he had never been born. Judas is an unrepentant sinner. He has rejected Jesus as his Lord. And so, as an unrepentant sinner, it would have been better for him if he had never been born than what awaits him. How how did Jesus know who was going to betray him? Judas' conversations with the Jewish leaders we saw last week, those were private. How How did Jesus know? Because he is not a poor, helpless victim. He is the sovereign Lord. How did Jesus know what Judas's future held? Because Jesus is not a poor, helpless victim. He is the sovereign Lord. And Jesus says here in verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as has been appointed for him or written about him. He says there has been a plan before the world was founded. 
for how salvation was going to take place. The Trinity has put this plan in place, and now I am carrying out this plan as sovereign Lord in order to bring it about. Because I'm not a poor, helpless victim. I am God in the flesh. And I am the sovereign Lord. John's gospel tells us at this point that Judas got up and left when Jesus told him, what you must do, do quickly. But as they are seated around the table, Jesus doesn't just out his betrayer. He also institutes what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. Look at the next verses. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. For 2,000 years, there's been a fair amount of discussion and even debate about what it means that the bread is Jesus' body. It, it seems clear to me that Jesus here is speaking symbolically or representatively about the bread when he says this. Jesus often taught about himself in ways that weren't meant to be taken literally, but representatively. So when Jesus says that I am the living water, Jesus means that like water, he is the one who can genuinely quench our soul's thirst. Like water, he is life-giving. What Jesus does not mean when he claims that is that he is not a human person, but is instead H2O. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, Jesus means, I am the one who illuminates all people's proper path. I am the one who, like light, brings life. What Jesus does not mean when he says that is, I'm not an actual human person, I am simply a physical ray of light. Jesus regularly teaches people in ways that are meant to be understood representatively, not literally. And I would contend that his disciples clearly understood that Jesus was speaking symbolically here when he said this bread is his body. Do you know why? Because his literal body was right there holding the bread. Right? When Jesus says, this is my body, they're all like, well, wait, I know he doesn't mean his literal body. It's right there. Jesus is speaking representatively here in this situation. And he says to us, his followers, take the bread, take the cup. These things represent who I am and what I have done on your behalf. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper in this situation during the Passover, which is beautiful. What did the Passover feast celebrate? It celebrated the fact that there were spotless lambs who had been slain, whose blood had been properly applied so that the judgment of God would pass over his people and his people might experience freedom instead. And now here at this Passover feast, Jesus says, I am the true Passover lamb. 
that all of this was foreshadowing. The one who is without blemish, the one who is without sin, who now comes and sacrificially gives his life as a substitute for my people so that the judgment of God will pass over my people and they can freedom. Jesus does this during the Passover and it's beautiful that he does. He is the fulfillment of all that they had looked forward to. And in Luke chapter 22, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he calls his people when they gather to do this, to take the bread and the cup in what? Remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Now some of you may have grown up with that phrase enough that it doesn't hold a lot of meaning for you any longer in remembrance of me. But if we were able to look at this with fresh eyes, I think we would see how unbelievably, maybe we would even say insanely arrogant this is if Jesus is just a man. If Jesus is just a a poor victim in this situation, how unbelievably arrogant it is to say, I would like you all to gather and spend time at a meal where you remember me forever. What? Who does that? Pastor Sam Storms talks about it and says this, What Jesus commanded his followers and friends to do following his death is nothing short of shocking. It's one thing to desire that your memory be preserved by your loved ones and that they continue to honor and esteem you throughout the remainder of their lives. But it is altogether something else to command that your friends, family, and followers gather together regularly at a meal, not only in your name, but with you as the sole and exclusive focus of their minds and hearts. Jesus commanded his followers every time they broke this bread together to make him the central point of their celebration and to recall and retell his life and death. Storms continues on, Were anyone to make this request of me prior to their death? I would probably conclude that the proximity of their demise had afflicted them with delusions of grandeur and megalomania. Yet this is precisely what Jesus commanded that each of his followers do in memory of him. Like so many things that we see Jesus do and say throughout the Gospels, this would be utter insanity if Jesus were just a man. But as God in the flesh... It makes sense and is what is best for us. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And then he takes the cup. Most scholars believe that when he takes the cup, this is the third cup of the Passover feast. There were four cups that were a part of the Passover feast. What did the first one stand for? Exodus from Egypt. The second one stood for freedom from slavery. But this third cup that most people think Jesus is holding in his hand as he says says this is known as the cup of redemption. It, It was to remind those who took it that lambs had paid the price in their place so that they wouldn't receive the judgment of God but would instead be set free. It was the cup of the price being paid in their place. And Jesus says, this cup of redemption, this cup of the price being paid in your place, properly applies to me. 
It has just been a foreshadowing up until now of the ultimate redemption that I go to purchase on the cross. I pay your price that you owe. And then after applying the third cup in this way, what does Jesus say? He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it in the kingdom that is to come. Which means it seems like they didn't get to the fourth cup. What what was the fourth cup of the Passover? The fourth cup of the Passover was the celebration of God's provision of a promised land for his people. And so Jesus here says, I am focusing on cup number three, the redemption of my people by the substitute sacrifice that I am going to make. And I will not drink of the cup again until we can properly celebrate the fourth cup of a new and better promised land together in the perfect kingdom. I want to remind you that it is just moments before this that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be always. And just moments later, he says, I won't drink of the fourth cup until we have an opportunity to drink it aright in the place that I go to prepare for you in the coming kingdom, this perfect and beautiful kingdom. Now, after this, we need to recognize that that Jesus is pointing us both backwards and forward with his institution of the Lord's Supper, isn't he? I want us to recognize that the Passover feast that Jesus uses to institute this was a foreshadowing that looked forward to the Lord's Supper. And now Jesus says, every time you take the Lord's Supper, I want you looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Jesus says, we move from Passover feast, which was a foreshadowing, to the Lord's feast, which is the real, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is its ultimate and good culmination. So every time you take the Lord's Supper, look back to what I have done and the goodness of my salvation and look forward to that day when we will experience the goodness of the supper of the Lamb together. What a, what a blessing that is. Now, after these events, apparently they spend a little bit of time singing together, and then they change venues. They're headed back to the Mount of Olives, where they were a couple of chapters ago. And so we read in our final section, and when they had sung a hymn, what hymn? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Back on the Mount of Olives, Jesus says to all of his followers, all of his disciples, you're going to abandon me. Out of fear, they are all going to abandon him. 
But do you notice that he also provides good news and hope here? Not only are you going to abandon me, but after my resurrection, we're all going to meet up in Galilee again. It's not just abandonment that we're going to focus on. Please recognize that after my resurrection, which, by the way, the disciples have not grasped throughout the entire book of Mark, but after my resurrection, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee, and we can all be, again, be together again there. What good news there is in all of that. Friends, how, how does Jesus know all of this? How, how does he know all of this? It's because he is not a poor, helpless victim in these hours before his crucifixion. He is the sovereign Lord who is carrying out exactly the plan that he put in place. He is carrying it out exactly as he wants it carried out. He gives his life. No one takes it from him. Peter says, even if all of the rest of these jokers fall away, I never will. That, that sounds courageous, doesn't it? Right? Even if all of the rest of these disciples, wink, wink, fall away, you know I won't, Jesus, because I am a true disciple. Right? Uh, the, these guys, they've got a level of commitment, but I've got the level of commitment, Jesus. They love you, but I truly love you, Jesus. You know I'm going with you no matter what. Of course, Jesus says, no, no, you're going to betray me. And in John chapter 21, when Jesus restores Peter after the betrayal, what is the first question that Jesus asks of, of Peter in that situation? Right? Simon, son of John, right? He doesn't call him Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Right? Do you love me more than these? What was Peter's great brag before the crucifixion? Even if all the rest of these bums fall away, you know that I never will, Jesus. I'm the committed one. I'm the one who loves you. And Jesus begins the restoration process of Peter by saying, no, we're back to Simon. And do you really love me more than these? Jesus wants to start the restoration process with a full understanding, Peter, there is nothing good in you that deserves forgiveness and restoration to ministry. It is all about the mercy and grace of your Savior that you have been following. It is all about your amazing mercy and grace, dear Jesus. Now, friends, I want you to notice in this passage that we've looked at that Judas fails big time in these last hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And Peter fails big time in these last hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, one of them, it is said about him, it would have been better if he had never been born. The other one experiences forgiveness, restoration, and amazing ministry in Jesus' name for decades to come. Why? They both failed utterly in the last hours before Jesus' crucifixion. Why does one of them experience this, this, oh, it would be better if you weren't born, and the other one experience restoration, renewed relationship, and amazing ministry? 
I think the answer to that question is the word repentance. Judas failed terribly before Jesus' crucifixion. And he just continued to go on in that rejection of Christ until he committed the ultimately selfish and self-oriented act of taking his own life. Jesus, or Peter, on the other hand, weeps over his sin, doesn't he? Peter, on the other hand, as soon as he hears the news that Jesus is alive, does what? Runs to get back to Jesus. When they're in Galilee together, as Jesus said they would be, and Peter is out on the boat, what does Peter do when he sees Jesus on the shore? The boat is too slow. He jumps out of the boat in order to go and get to Jesus. Because Peter is all about turning away from what happened and back to you, Jesus. And so what is the difference between these two? The difference is one of repentance. One continues on in their life of sin and rejection of Christ, and the other weeps over their sin, turns away from it and back to Christ with their life. As we approach the table today, I want us to remember the Christian life isn't a a life that is filled with perfection. It is a life that is filled with constant repentance for any sin and wrongdoing that we see in our life and the growth that comes from that repentance. And so I, I would invite us as we prepare to take the elements at the table today that we just read about, Would you guys just bow your heads with me right now and let's spend time confessing anything that is a part of our hearts and minds and turning away from it, turning back to Christ. Perhaps there are particular sins that have come up again and again in your life. Confess those before the Lord. Turn away from those and turn back to Jesus for his help. Maybe there are idols. They're good things, but they have taken God's place of prominence in your life. Confess it before the Lord. Repent. Maybe there are things you know God is calling you to do, but you're not doing them. Confess those things before the Lord. Repent. Turn back to Him. Peter's repentance, like our repentance, would be a worthless and meaningless gesture if it wasn't for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this table today, we do so as people who've confessed our sins, who have repented, and then as people who who recognize that through the work of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven. 
through the work of Jesus Christ, we have experienced his great mercy. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we've experienced grace that is greater than all of our sin. And we celebrate that. We revel in it. What goodness. In just a moment, we're going to take these elements together. And so as we sing praises to Jesus, I'd like to invite you, when you're ready, to make your way to the tables that are in the four corners of the room and get the bread and the cup. And when you have those, return to your seats, and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in just a few minutes. Would you stand with me? Let's worship Jesus and think deeply about him and his goodness in our lives. Anytime we take the elements, we look in two directions, don't we? Right? We look back to what Jesus has done on our behalf as our substitutionary sacrifice out of his great love. We also look forward in hope and joy to that great day when we drink of the cup again with him in that ultimate promised land that he has gone in order to prepare for his people. Right, what, what beauty there is in that. And so as we take the bread, we recognize that this is Jesus' body that has been given for us, and we eat it all in remembrance of him. And the cup, the shed blood of Jesus, the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins, we drink it all in remembrance of him. Now, in just a moment, the red buckets are going to come by. And as the red buckets come by, that's a great place for you to put your Connect cards. Also a place that you can put offering. And there are a number of ways that we can give offering in worship and honor to the Lord. And as we do, we are going to sing a song of praise together. I want, to re I want you to remember that in verse 26, we're told that at the end of that meal, they all sang a hymn together, right? What hymn? Well, the most common hymn sung at the end of the Passover feast was Psalm 118. Are you familiar with Psalm 118? It contains the words that are our theme for this sermon series, right? Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But perhaps even more importantly to this moment, it contains a refrain that comes back again and again throughout the psalm. His steadfast love endures forever. It is the chorus of that psalm. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. Over and over again in this psalm, his love endures forever. Isn't this the hope that Peter needed in the midst of his betrayal? That the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever.
Isn't this the only hope that the disciples had as they abandoned Jesus in his moment of greatest need? That his love endures forever. Isn't this the hope that our lives are built upon? That Christ has done what we just celebrated through these elements because his love endures forever. Isn't repentance worthwhile and efficacious because his love endures forever? Right? Amen. His love endures forever. Let us remember that. And would you pray with me right now? Lord, we are so thankful that as we come before you today, we can be forgiven and restored and live in newness of life with you because your love endures forever. We're so thankful for the opportunity we have to be a part of your family because your love endures forever. We're thankful for the chance that we have to be your worshipers in community together because your love endures forever. And so, Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.